Hey mamas, welcome to Motherhood at Your Best with your host, Barry Gebrehewitt. This podcast is all about a community of moms who are on a journey of self-discovery, self-love, personal development, and growth in motherhood, marriage, and business. They say pressure makes diamonds, so I like to think that with the pressures that come with motherhood and doing the work of self-discovery, the outcome on the other end of that pressure is a beautiful diamond that shines bright. Join us every other week to hear from real women in our community and their stories of perseverance and becoming diamonds in the process of it all. And now on to the show. So today we have Haben Gurma, the first deafblind woman to graduate from Harvard Law School. Haben is a published author and a disability rights lawyer and advocate. Haben has an incredible resume full of accolades that include being recognized by the Obama administration as a champion of change in 2013 and being listed in Forbes 30 under 30 in 2016. She's also been appointed to the National Board of Trustees for the Helen Keller Services for the Blind and the list goes on. Um, today, me and Haben are going to be talking about pushing through cultural and societal limitations and the role parents have in raising humans who are bold, confident, resilient, and successful, regardless of the abilities and disabilities. Um, just for the record, Haven is not a parent. <laughs> I don't want to f- start any rumors here today, but um, I'm just so fascinated with her story because we share a very similar background, and I know I'm speaking for hundreds of thousands of Eritreans and Ethiopians who grew up in the diaspora and were raised by parents who were struggling to navigate the system while providing everything they could for their children, but often allowed their fears to limit their exposure and the many resources that could have been available to them um, and valuable to them. Um, Haben, can we just start there? Just at the very beginning, bringing Haben home, um, what what did your parents learn and how did they navigate the um, just the different resources that were available to them and to you? I was born and raised in Oakland, California, and it was probably around age five, six, that my parents learned that I have disabilities, deaf blindness, vision and hearing loss. And we were fortunate to be in a community that had great services. Most of the United States does not have good services for students with disabilities. The Bay Area, particularly Oakland and Berkeley, have a long-standing history in the disability rights movements. So I immediately had services to learn Braille, learn how to use assistive technology, how to navigate my world. And ever since then, I've been using these skills, blindness skills, deafness skills, to navigate my world. That's awesome. So just by chance, you were born in a city that was known for this um, for all those re- the resources that you had. Exactly. That's awesome. And um, just as a Habesha woman, an Eritrean woman, growing up in a culture that um, 
I mean, I think just maybe universally, uh, disability is seen or believed to be more um, uh, tragic or like I think in the Habesha culture is commonly known or believed that if parents or when parents um, have a child with disabilities, it's because of the parents um, curse or some sort of sin that they may have had in their lives. So for that reason, in our culture, and I think maybe you already know this, um, there's a lot of shame around that. So um, the way that um, a person with disabilities is uh, perceived or maybe the, the opportunities that they have are very limited and very different. So like what has been your experience in that culture? I know that in your book, you've traveled back to Eritrea and Ethiopia quite often. And so um, was the way that you were maybe uh, approached or treated very different from the way that you were here? And with your family here? So, you know, the United States is very diverse. There are places here. There are people all over the U.S. who look at me with pity and feel that I don't belong and should be locked up and hidden from society. That exists mm -hmm. here, too. Mm -hmm. um, when I... There are parts of Eritrean and Ethiopian culture that believe disability is shameful and a curse. And those attitudes are incredibly harmful and hurt people with disabilities. I want to move away from shame and work on creating disability pride. Everyone is different. Everyone has challenges and strengths. And families can choose to respect and embrace all of our humanity, including our challenges. And if there are barriers, remove the barriers, build ramps, learn sign language, mm. provide books in Braille, build the community to be more inclusive. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I, I read in your book that um, you have a brother who had a very different experience than you did as he didn't have the same um, resources that you had here. He didn't have an Eritrea. Um, are, have they caught up since then? I mean, I'm curious because I don't know um, what resources are available there, but are you aware of any resources or like what that society looks like now um, since your brother has grown up there? So there is a school for the blind in Asmara, but they said they could mm. not teach him because he's deaf. So for his first few years, he did not go to school. He started school at age 12 here in the United States. And it's incredibly unfair that he missed out on an education for his first 12 years. Mm. Every child should have access to an education. So when he came here, he started going to school started learning sign language, braille, mathematics, all the important things. And now he's an adult and uh, teaches technology to people with disabilities. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and, and I'm actually, after reading your book, a little interested in just kind of looking into, like, what... Um, resources they have for um, 
deafblind uh, students or kids. Um, you mentioned that your brother didn't have the opportunity because they had schools for the blind, but not for the deaf. So I'm just curious, like if there's been any advancement or improvement since then um, in that area. I have no idea, but it'd be a good question to ask the schools there in Eritrea and see if they now welcome students who are deafblind. Yeah, yeah, that's very fascinating. Um, so you have, um, I mean, you've had such an amazing um You've had amazing exposure to resources, trainings and programs um, over your childhood and um, early adulthood that have equipped you with the skills and interpersonal skills that you have today. Um, One of the things that I keep thinking about is, wow, like um, for parents who are trying to navigate a new system and, um, you know, a lot of times for our parents, there's that level of fear of a new culture and a new society so that what that translates to is um, restrictions and strict rules and um, I know that just reading through your book like I love 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 the chapter untangling love and control um it, can I just read um just a quick paragraph from that chapter Go for it. So um, from this chapter, um, you're just a quick background. You're talking to your parents about college and they're telling you how you can't go to college um, in a different state. And they are begging you at this point and you are um, it sounds like you have your mind met, made up in where you want to go. And um, I love how here you say my parents won't like this plan. Actually, I think this was about going to the Louisiana Center for the Blind. But you're saying my parents won't like this plan. Increasing my independence um, skills will decrease their control over me. The thought of losing their ability to keep me in the comfort zone scares scares them. To their credit, they do give me more freedom than most parents of kids with disabilities. Many parents would never permit a disabled daughter to travel to Mali. I'm blessed to have parents who love me and work hard to provide a home for us. My gratitude exists alongside the persistent pounding of my heart to go, 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 go because dancing fills me with joy. Unlike sitting safely on the sidelines, go, even though it means nights of crying myself to sleep, go because the stories of my family compel me to reach for the grand unknown in all its hope filled glory. My parents will understand in the end we can disentangle control from love. I'll convince them to let me attend this training center in Louisiana. At least I'm not going to New Zealand, not yet anyway. (laughs) Um, But I read this part and I was just thinking about, oh my gosh, like um, it's so familiar in regards to my own story as growing up as an Eritrean woman who had strict boundaries and rules that were um, cultural, but also imposed, like I said, by their fears. And um, I think a lot of times in your book, especially at that part, I thought, I think Haven had like way more freedoms than I did <laughs> um, as an Eritrean woman at that age, at least. And I was just curious, like, has anyone ever told you that before? I'm just curious to know, like, your dynamic 
and like relationship with your parents. Like you were such a persistent advocate for yourself um, in boldness and in confidence and like asking for what you wanted and being persistent with it. I just wanted to know, like, where did that come from? Like, is it um, just happen being happen? Is it the way that you were raised? Have you heard that from anyone else? Like, I don't know if um, it's similar with like, you know, your sister or other family members that you may have and grew up around you. So I learned very quickly that I could not do things the way my parents do things. They're mm-hmm. sighted and hearing. I'm deaf blind. Maybe if I was sighted and hearing, I would have been less of an advocate because I could just follow in my parents' footsteps. Mm-hmm. But because they could see and hear and I can't, I could not follow their footsteps. Every single thing how to cook, how to clean, how to communicate. I had to figure out alternative techniques. So Mm. in a way, my disability encouraged me to develop my advocacy and my strength. And with that came the desire to question, why? Why can't I do this? Mm. I should be able to do this. And love and fear makes parents want to hold kids tight and not allow them to explore. But they mm-hmm. really wanted to explore and experience the world. So I kept asking and pushing and pleading and arguing until they eventually learned slowly how to let go. Mm. Wow. And and your, your boldness and your confidence... Um, that was just that was just happened. I mean, that was you. It was, was it a, a skill that you learned? Because I understand that you had counselors, like guidance counselors in your high school um, that did a lot of like interpersonal work, too, with a lot of the trainings that you had. So would you say that your confidence and boldness was just a part of who you are and a part of who Haven is? Or was it a learned skill to say, hey, I have to advocate for myself or else? Like, where did that confidence come from? (laughs) I kept wondering that in the book, like, oh, my gosh, she is so bold and confident. Like, I love it. It's a learned skill. I think anyone Mm. can learn this. It's practice. You start with the small things, advocating Mm -hmm. for access to chocolate cake. (laughs) And then once you learn to do that, then you move on to big things like advocating for the job, for the promotion. So start by the small barriers, work on them, build up your skills. Then you can tackle the larger obstacles. Wow, that is so good. I love that. Um, yeah, that is so good. I I was reading um, one of the chapters at the um, the LCB with the director Pam and the story that she told about um, the positive blindness philosophy. And um, that story was powerful, but um, I was just like wondering, like, how, like, did you um, attend trainings and programs every summer during your school years? Like, how often did you have these types of like interpersonal, like, uh, skill development? After high school, I went to a training center for the blind 
mm-hmm. focus on blindness skills. I wanted to be able to go to college and not worry, how would a blind person do this or that? So I spent the summer before college focusing entirely on blindness so I could learn all those skills and then I wouldn't have to worry about it for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. It's not something I did every summer, just that specific summer. But also starting in first grade, I received basic blindness training at school. I attended mainstream public schools with non-disabled students. And for one hour each day, we would focus on blindness skills, braille, keen travel, that sort of thing. Mm, That's awesome. What was your parents, um, I mean, did your parents decide to send you to um, a, a, a regular school versus a school for the blind? Or was it just the only option that you had in that district? We were very privileged to have that choice. So there was a blind school very close by, and there were mainstream regular public schools nearby. So my parents could choose. And they were able to assess that I would have more opportunities at the mainstream school. And they were right. I had way more opportunities at the mainstream school. In general, mainstreaming gives the child access to real world type skills because the real world the real world is diverse you have Mm -hmm. disabled and non-disabled people in the real world the segregated schools do not give you that experience so i feel like you miss out on those opportunities i do Mm. need to add though that there are places in the u.s where the mainstream schools do such a terrible job providing access for students with disabilities that the students actually get more access at the specialized schools compared to the mainstream schools. So mm. it's it depends. It's a case-by-case case thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love how you say, um, it, even I think you were in your senior year, you said, in your book, you said somehow, some way, I'm going to create a community of people who believe that disability itself is not a barrier. The biggest barriers are social, physical, and digital. I hope I have the strength and skills to teach LCB's lessons to the world, but first college. <laughs> and I think it's fascinating that that was a mission that you had at such a young age. Um, how would you say we are doing as just as a society with this? Like, are we getting closer to accepting or seeing people with blindness as people who can be just as successful and able as a sighted person? And also, I think for me, um, I like you said earlier, like even here in the Western world, um, we do struggle with um, the equality. But um just kind of curious, like from your experience, if you feel like you've seen any growth or or progression in um, uh, like the Eritrean and Ethiopian cultures as to um, how we view and see people with disabilities. I feel like there's so much work that still needs to be done. There's still lack of opportunities. There's still shame. Shame is the biggest thing. 
because it keeps people from trying to create mm. opportunities. It, it pressures people to hide their difference rather than say, hey, I need these assistance. And there's also invisible disabilities, depression, anxiety, yeah. and people with those invisible disabilities struggle to get help in cultures that are full of shame. Mm -hmm. So we need to move past to shame and celebrate difference. Everybody is interdependent. No one is entirely independent. Everyone mm -hmm. needs help. We all need each other. So let's move away from shame and instead create disability pride. That's so good. I love your message and your, um, your just your passion around this topic and all the amazing work and that you're doing and that you continue to do in this um, in this area. Um, so I was wondering, um, so you've been on, like I said, you've been on a mission to trans transform or influence the digital world um, just more specifically and its ability to make technology accessible to people with disabilities. And um, you also talk a lot about the workplace and how they can make um, their um, their workplace more accessible to people with all abilities and disabilities. And what what are you um, or can you tell us about what you're doing in the digital space um, today and what you're working on? Technology has tremendous power to remove barriers, but only if it's designed to be accessible. A lot of people who work in tech are not designing it to be accessible. So we want to encourage people in tech, use the accessibility guidelines, the web content accessibility guidelines for websites, Android and iOS accessibility guide, guidelines for mobile apps. So we want more digital services to be fully accessible so everyone can use them. Yeah. Um. That's awesome. And we're we're on a Skype call today. Um, just out of curiosity, what technology are you using for our call today? I have an assistant who's typing everything you're saying, and I'm reading it in Braille. So I'm awesome. using a keyboard and Braille computer. Awesome. Yeah, and I... Um, did see that at the book signing. And um, is that um, is that a new technology or something that's been around for a while? Because it's something I have never seen before. Something like this has been around since the 80s, but mm -hmm. it has improved slightly over the years. And the device I'm using came out in 2010. I am waiting for better and more advancement in the area of Braille technology. Mm, that's so awesome. Um, so real quick, I did forget to ask you one question. <laughs> I wanted to know, um, so I, every time I read um, your chapters and interact, uh, interactions back home in Eritrea or Ethiopia, um, I'm always taken back, like your ability to um, just captivate um, your writing is just phenomenal. Like you're a captivating writer and speaker. And um, I 
was just thinking like I can smell and and literally feel everything around me that you're describing back home. So hats off to you on doing that and being able to bring back those memories for me because it's been a long time and I felt like I was right there with you. Ah, <laughs> oh, thank you. It's <laughs> thrilling to know that another Eritrean feels is able to capture and, and feel some of those, the smells of the coffee, the smoke mm-hmm. playing out <laughs> in the street, all those games. So yes. it's, it's nice knowing that you could also relate and probably other Eritrean moms can relate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of moms, um, I wanted to ask you what... Um, what would you say to a mom who um, has a child with a disability and is really struggling with um, just the cultural piece of it? Um, I know you say that we should lift shame and really share our stories and um, not not hide our disabilities. But um, it's a to me, it's mind boggling that, um, you know, in 2019, almost 2020, um, that we still have those um, taboo um, thoughts and beliefs around just, you know, disabilities and even mental health illnesses, like something that's been a very big topic lately. But just for the moms, like I get a lot of anonymous um questions from moms who are struggling with a child's illness or disability and to me it's always like oh wow like we're still talking about this like behind closed doors as an anonymous post like oh please don't share and I I mean I respect that and it's not to um, again shame any of the moms but um like how do we move past that like how do we um, like, what would you say to a mom who was listening to this and maybe dealing with that? Um, because it's a heavy thing to carry from the culture because, um, yeah, like, what would you say and what words would you have for her? The child, so most of us with disabilities are often the only one with a disability in our families. And mm-hmm. that's really tough because our parents have completely different experiences from our experiences. And one way you can help the child not feel alone and decrease the stigma is to learn alongside your child as much as possible. So mm. if the child needs to learn how to use a wheelchair, Help them learn. Learn alongside them. Maybe use a chair with them for a day so that they feel like you can actually really get it. Or if they're deaf and they're learning sign language, learn it with them. Take part in those classes. Mm -hmm. Same thing if it's Braille, learn it with them so that they don't feel alone. That's great. That's great advice, Heaven. Um, is that um, like what type of support system did your parents have um, just, you know, with you growing up and learning of your, um, you know, you said at five or six, they learned that you were deafblind. And um, what did their support system look like at that time with family? 
I think for the most part, my family tried to treat me like a non-disabled child. So they did their best to treat me, quote unquote, normal. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. the ideal. We want to have high expectations, but we also want to acknowledge that everyone has different, uh, that everyone is different. And we should remove barriers and help remove barriers whenever possible. So at school, I had special education teachers who could help teach me Braille and sign language and how to use assistive technology. My parents did not learn Braille or sign language or Mm -hmm. assistive technology. It would have been great if they had, though. Mm. And I strongly encourage parents to learn all the skills their kids are learning. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, Yeah, one of the things that we um, try to foster in our community is um, having community outside of our um, online group. And... um, I think that's something that we're just recently starting to see. And um, it's something that I think is really exciting is that moms are starting to um, create their own support systems by finding other parents who are going through similar things with their kids um, and just forming a support system because um, it makes a difference when you have support from people within your own community who can understand the culture, speak your language, and really understand the different things that you um, struggle with that may be, um, may be different from what someone outside of that culture might um, be struggling with. So um, I am really excited about your book and um the fact that it's available available for um, I think it's honestly like I don't I think it's more than just a book about a blind woman's journey, but a book about strength, resilience, hope, confidence <laughs> and the journey of just of an incredible young woman who's faced the limitations that were placed on her over and over again and how you defied those boundaries and broke free to be the successful woman that you are today. And um, I just like, I like to take apart um, just what I've learned from the book and how I could apply that to my parenting. And honestly, it's a lot. It's, you know, just remembering, um, like you said, like we're all different. And then just even like, you, you know, in the sense of like looking at our kids, like they're all different. They have their own, strengths and weaknesses and learning those and treating them accordingly, but also focusing on and um, strengthening what what they have, like their their strengths, like really bringing that um, forth and giving them the tools and resources to um, help them succeed without letting my own fears um, limit them, which, like I said, is something that I think we see a lot with parents who immigrate here, um, a lot of times their fears um, do limit their children in their growth because, um, yeah, they, they limit them and block them for getting any, you know, the resources that they need. So I'm really excited that there's a book that literally lays out like um, 
I don't know, almost the blueprint. <laughs> um, again, it's I. It's about you know um, advocacy for for more access for disabled individuals, but also um, there's just so much more to it. So thank you for creating this book and being so um, just genuine and transparent in your journey. Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. I love that you were able to connect with all the Eritrean stories from Asmara, from here in the United States. So thank you for for appreciating the book and taking the time to read it. And I want to remind everyone, not only is it available in print, but you could also listen to it as an audiobook. And I narrate the audiobook. Oh, awesome. I did not know that. Okay. Um, I definitely will share that. I'll share that um, in the show notes and have a link to your book on there. And um, is it translated in any other languages right now, Heaven? Not yet. I would okay. love to get somebody <laughs> to translate it to Tigrinya or Amharic. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that would be awesome because I keep telling my parents about it and I'm like, should I just sit here and read it to them? <laughs> um, but I'll wait for it to be translated and give it to them as a gift because they would love it as well. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that, Barry. <laughs> Of course. Um, so last question, Haben. I know you're super busy, especially now um, promoting your new book. Um, I know that you're touring right now, um, so I can only imagine how busy you are. But one thing we focus on in our community is self-care. Um, and I just wanted to ask, what does Haben do for self-care? And um, how do you unwind and relax in between book tours or maybe while you're on your book tours? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I know the things that make me happy and help me relax. It's dancing. I love swing and salsa. I try to go every week when I'm here. I love going on walks with my dog, eating good food. It's really important to me to eat well when I'm traveling. So I spend a lot of time on Google and Yelp trying to pick the best place to get food. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say dancing for sure. <laughs> you were right. Dancing, <laughs> food, walking. Love it. I love it. Well, thank you again, Haben, so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me and share some more of your story and um, your journey. Again, I cannot wait to um, share more of your book with our community and um, can't wait for them to listen to this podcast as well. Excellent. Thanks for, for spotlighting uh, my book, Barry. Oh, and also thank you for coming to the Seattle Talk and giving me a copy of your book. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Motherhood at Your Best. I appreciate all the love and support. So please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and let me know your thoughts. Remember, 
Don't succumb to the pressures of life because you got this, Mama. I'll see you soon.